Father, we thank you for that hymn that so clearly proclaimed to us the gospel. Lord, we thank you for all these resources you have given us through which we can preach to ourselves and one another the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He lived the righteous life that we refused to live, that we were unable to live. And though he earned life by his righteousness, yet he went to the cross to die, to die in the place of sinners like us, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take the wrath of God, to suffer the just penalty, do the sin of his people, and he paid the penalty in full. And he proved that he did that by rising from the dead on the third day. If he hadn't paid it in full, he would still be dead. But he rose from the dead, showing that he paid the full price uh, that, that needed to be paid in order to purchase our pardon. And Lord, he stands ready to receive us if we would just repent, turn from our sins, if we would just believe in the gospel, trust that he did enough to save us, that he did enough to save forever all who would draw near to God through faith in him. Help us, Lord, to see our sin as the disgusting thing that it is and to recoil from it and to turn to Christ and see in him our all in all, to see the glory that he is clothed with and help us to surrender our whole lives to him, holding nothing back. And we, may we find salvation in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at verses 14 through 19 this morning. First Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 19. Let me read those verses for us. Paul writes, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? This chapter is answering for us the question of what is God's design for the church. There's a lot of confusion these days on what the church is. Is the church a social club where your level of involvement doesn't really matter? Something that you can choose either to really be super involved in or you can choose to just kind of dabble in and stay out on the periphery. Is church instead being more like a AAA member? Apart from paying your yearly fee, it requires no other commitment from you but it will be there for you the moment you need it, just like AAA. Is church just another form of clean entertainment, a safe place that you can take your kids to? Is the church just another sort of social action group through which you can reach out to your community, do your part? Or is church just something you're supposed to do, a way to earn favor with God so that He'll let you into heaven after you die, as if spending an hour on a Sunday morning sitting in a building each week is enough to pay for your 
limitless criminal acts against a holy God? Is church a consumer product, something intended purely for your personal use, like a new pair of shoes or a car or a gym membership or a spa? And as long as it meets your personal needs, you'll stick with it. But the moment you are no longer satisfied, you'll trade it in or go shopping for another one. Is the church any of these things? No, the church is none of these things. And yet, so many reveal their spiritual ignorance by treating the church that way. But what is the church? What has God designed the church to be? How does it function? What is required of those who belong to the church? And this chapter that we're working our way through is answering a lot of those questions for us. And it will continue to do so over the next several verses. And Lord willing, over the next couple weeks, we're going to see in particular what God's design for his church is. Today, we're going to see that God has designed his church in such a way that first, every member is needed. Every believer within the church is important and essential. That's what we'll see first. Second, we're going to see that God has designed his church in such a way that each and every member, each and every body part, each and every believer in the church has been specially placed there by God. He is the architect. He is the builder of the church. And he is not built, he's not built the church in a haphazard way. He has done it very precisely. So first, we're going to see that every member is needed. Every member needed. We'll see this in verses 14 through 17. Look at verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. We saw back in verses 12 through 13 how Paul compared the church to our own physical bodies. And he's continuing to use that body language here to describe what the church is and how the church functions. He mentions the word member. That's the Greek word melos. It means body part. The church is one body and yet made up of many body parts, just like our physical bodies. And we saw last week, or two weeks ago in verses 12 through 13, Paul make that connection. He established how the church is like our physical bodies, and he will continue to speak of the church with this body language, and he expects us to apply what he's saying to the church. He's not going to keep explaining it as he goes. We just assume, based on what he's already explained, that he's talking about the church here and what the church is like. Here in verse 20, he states the obvious. If you take a look at your physical body, you'll see right away that it's made up of many members, not just one, many body parts, not just one. Your body is not a giant ear just flopping around on the floor. You didn't roll into the building as a giant eyeball. You're not sitting there oozing like a giant brain. None of you crawled your way in here as a disembodied hand, like the thing from the Adams family. No, your body is made up of many body parts, and it's that way with the church. We saw previously in verses 4 through 11 that our triune God has given a diversity of gifts to the church. Believers in the church have gifts that differ 
from one another. Not everyone has the same gift. Not everyone has the same ministry. Not everyone has the same degree of effectiveness because God has not designed his church to be that way. We're all different, just like our various body parts are different from one another. Verse 14 reminds us that because the church is the body of Christ, differences among us are to be expected. We're not some monocrop of heads of grain sticking up in the church. We're all different. But as sinful people and as ignorant people, we tend to view our differences in an unbiblical way. We draw wrong conclusions from our differences. And verses 15 and 16 show what kind of wrong conclusions we can draw. Look at verses 15 through 16. Paul there says, If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. We saw back in verse 1 of this chapter that Paul, here in chapter 12 and in the next two chapters, what is he doing? What does it say in verse 1 of chapter 12? He says, concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things or spiritual people, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Paul is seeking over these three chapters to remove the Corinthians' ignorance regarding spiritual things. And he's still doing that here in the passage we're looking at this morning. In our spiritual ignorance, we can begin to think that because my gift is different from your gift, that means that I must either be superior to you or inferior to you. It means I must be part of the in crowd, the crowd that really matters, the crowd that's really significant, or I'm part of the out crowd. On the outside looking in, I don't really matter all that much. Here, Paul is first addressing those who think they're part of the out crowd. They think that because of their giftedness, they're inferior to other believers. He addresses them first. Those who are concerned that their gift is not as showy as others. Their gift is not as seemingly important, doesn't seem to quite fit in. Those are who he is addressing in these verses. Next week, we'll see Paul address the other group, the group who draws the wrong conclusion that they're superior to others because of their giftedness. But here, Paul is addressing those who feel down and out because of what their gift is. Some believers are like the foot covered up by a smelly shoe, down in the dirt all day, crushed under a heavy weight, not really being noticed like our foot. They look at the hand, which is always getting washed, always doing something interesting and different every day. They look at the, the fingernails on the hand, the lady's hand anyways, and see it's all painted. There's jewelry on the hand. And the foot says, boy, look at the hand. It's so important. Nobody ever notices me. I don't get that kind of treatment. So I must not really matter. Some believers are like the ear this weird-looking thing sticking off the side of our heads. When was the last time you heard someone compliment someone on the beauty and the symmetry of their ear? I don't think I've ever heard that. The ear considers the eye, 
which is so beautiful. The eye, which gets all the attention when interacting with other people. When you're talking with someone, they look you in the eye. They don't look you in the ear. The ear says, the eye has it made. That's where it's at. Why am I even here? I don't matter as much as the eye. But what the foot and the ear fail to consider is that the body can't go anywhere without the foot. And the body can't communicate with other people if it can't hear with the ear what other people are saying. The foot and the ear are crucial, and yet, because of their fixation on what the hand and the eye can do, they fail to take note of what God has appointed them to do. And they draw the wrong conclusion that they are not an important part of the body. And as believers, we can do the same thing. When we compare our giftedness with others, we can draw wrong conclusions. We can think that our gift doesn't measure up. And therefore, I am expendable. I am not needed. I am not an important part of the church. But Paul says in these verses, just because your gift is different, that doesn't mean that you are any the less a part of the church. If you feel like you're a foot or an ear in the church and you are depressed about that, if you think your giftedness is not as showy as it ought to be, it's not taken notice of as often as it should be, let me ask you, do you not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, enabling you to confess with all your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Has not that same Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ? Is he not the one who has sovereignly bestowed this undeserved gift upon you? Do not underestimate the importance of your role in the body of Christ. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by poo-pooing his miraculous work in you. By underestimating his wisdom in giving you the gift that he has given you. If this is your attitude this morning this woe-is-me sort of attitude, listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? If your body was just a giant eyeball, how would you be able to hear anything? If your body was just a giant ear, how would you be able to smell anything? Now, later on, when we get to chapter 14, we'll see that apparently the Corinthians had a bit of an obsession about one particular gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. If everyone's sole gift was speaking in tongues, how in the world would anything get done in the kingdom that needs to get done? How would the gospel advance in the world? How would the church be able to carry out the Great Commission if that was the only gift that was functioning in the body of Christ? The answer is, the church wouldn't be able to fulfill the Great Commission. Who would show hospitality? Who would handle the administrative concerns of the church? Who would serve and meet the needs of and show mercy to those who were hurting and lacking necessities? Who would instruct other believers? Who would evangelize the lost? Who would pray for God's will to be done? The whole mission of the church would absolutely fall apart if the Holy Spirit does not equip each of the members of the church with different gifts in order to accomplish what Christ has left us here to accomplish, the Great Commission. No one member has all that is needed for the church to function effectively. 
For example, I was bivocational for a little while doing pest control. So I can kill bugs and I can teach the Bible, but that's about it. There's not a whole lot that's going to get done for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel in the world if my two gifts are not complemented and supplemented by the plethora of gifts and ministries that is represented here this morning. Everybody matters. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We read the beginning of this chapter and our call to worship. But I want us to look at verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some, he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. What are those gifted individuals supposed to do? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Notice, service is not to be done only by the teachers. The body of Christ is built up not only by the teachers. What is the result of this equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. All of us working together is supposed to result in our mutual growing in Christ-likeness until we become as he is in our character. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now take special note of verse 16. Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, according to verse 16, where does our growth ultimately come from? From the head, Christ himself. He is the ultimate source of our growing up in him. But that growth comes from him through what? Through the joints. That is us, believers. Each believer is a joint in the body of Christ. And every joint is supplying something to the whole body. But in order for that Christ-given growth to occur through those joints, what has to happen? Each joint needs to be properly working, doing its part. And it's only then that the body grows for the building up of itself in love. Growth comes when each individual believer, each individual body part, member of the church is working properly. If every part is not working properly, we will not grow as we, are, as we ought to grow. So every member is needed. Next, we'll look at the fact that every member is placed, placed by God in the body. 
We see this in verses 18 to 19. Before we start digging through these two verses, I want to make mention that we all have to beware of pride. Because pride is what has led the Corinthians to this place of spiritual ignorance. They have bought into worldly wisdom. And that worldly wisdom has blinded them to the true things of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, pride can lead us to this place as well. We can get so fixated on what we are not and what others are that we can become jealous of the gifts of others and ungrateful for the gifts that God has given to us. And as a result of that, we can start throwing little pity parties for ourselves. And we can think that God should have given me a different gift. If God loved me, he would have given me a more prominent ministry. He would have given me a different level of effectiveness than what I am now currently enjoying. And we can become discontented with our place in the body of Christ. And when we become discontented with where the Lord has placed us, we tend to check out. We say to ourselves, if I can't do such and such in the church, I'm not going to do anything in the church. And we walk away. And when that is our attitude, serving the church has become more about serving myself than serving Christ. Now, pride is not always the issue. Oftentimes, it's simply a lack of love for Christ, a lack of love for his body, the church. We just don't care. We seem to think that the church exists to serve me. So it doesn't really matter that I don't show up every Sunday. It doesn't matter that I don't step up to fill a need when a need is made known. It doesn't matter that I don't strive with everything in me to use my gifts to glorify Christ and to serve others in the church and to reach the lost because, after all, the church exists for me, not for Christ, not for the body of Christ, not for reaching the lost. It's for me. So if I'm good and I don't need church, I don't need to be here. I don't need to pull my weight because it's about me. So I'll go to church when it's convenient for me. I'll go when I need a little social interaction or when I need an emotional buzz or when I've got nothing better to do. Our culture that we live in, that we swim in every day, is characterized by an obsession with self. And we need to wake up to the fact that the obsession with self has largely infected the church. Look at me with, or look at me, look with me. (laughs) You are already looking at me, but look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe I'll learn to speak English one of these days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, Paul is instructing Timothy about what will characterize people in the last days. And he gives a list of characteristics. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul writes, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And then he gives this long list. And notice what is at the very head of the list. What's the umbrella overshadowing the whole list? What are the headwaters of this list, this stream of of characteristics? Verse 2, for men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. As sinners, before we came to know Christ, we were characterized by this, selfishness. And if we're not careful, that selfishness can still crawl out of the grave and grab a firm hold of our hearts. And if it has grabbed a hold of our hearts this morning, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12 is a wake-up call. It's a spiritual reboot for our minds because it tells us that church is not about what I want. It's about what God wants. Church is not about me. It's about him. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. He says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired just as he desired. If you are a believer this morning, that is, if you confess with all your heart that Jesus is Lord and you are surrendering your life to that truth day by day by faith, then you are a body part of the body of Christ. And God himself has placed you in the body of Christ just as he desired. It may not be as you have desired, but it is just as he has desired, and that ought to be all that matters to you. You have been baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you a certain gift or certain gifts, and God has placed you where you are for the express purpose of utilizing that gift for the building up of the body of Christ. God has not placed you where he has placed you to be a pew-sitter or a consumer. He has placed you where he's placed you and gifted you with something to get busy with serving Christ and his body. Just as your foot or your eye or your hand is in its specific place on your body for a very specific reason with a very important role to play, so you have been placed by God in a specific place within the body of Christ for a very specific reason, and God has given you a very important role to play. Whether or not you think it's important is irrelevant. God thinks it's important, and that's all that matters. Now, you may be wondering what your gift is and what your ministry is, but you don't know how to go about figuring that out, and so you may feel frustrated by talk of using your gifts. How can you use your gift when you don't know what it is? But I think we make this way more complicated than it has to be. Consider your body. If we were throwing the Frisbee with each other and I whipped a fast one at you and it was coming straight for your head, what would you do? Instinctively, your hands would catch up. At least most of us, that's what would be what would happen. Our hands would catch up and we would catch the Frisbee. You see, our body had a need, and the part of your body that was equipped and placed to meet that need rose up and met that need. If your hands didn't catch the Frisbee, your body would be harmed because noses are not meant to catch Frisbees. 
My mother can attest to that. I launched one at her. Without warning her, we were not playing a game. I just picked it off the ground and I whipped it right at her. And she wasn't even looking at it and she turned her head at the precise moment and it whapped her right in the head. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> but it's the same way in the body of Christ. If a need in the church comes to your attention and you have the ability to meet that need and you are in the position to meet that need, that's really all you need to know to understand that God has placed you there for that purpose at that time. That is the ministry he has set before you in that moment. And love, love for Christ, love for the church, love for the lost should move you and motivate you to raise your hand and say, I can do that. It may not be what you think you are gifted to do. It may not even be something you particularly desire to do, but you are not the one who gets to make that call because it is God who has placed you in the body just as he desired. He has placed you in that position at that time to meet that need just as he willed. And you may be the only one who can meet that need. And if you don't, the body will suffer because of it. I don't know of a single verse in Scripture that commands you to try and figure out what your gift is. If there is one, maybe you can tell me after service. But there are boatloads of scriptures that command you to serve one another. I made the announcement this morning that a family in our community needs help filling a dumpster in a couple weeks. You don't need to stand around trying to figure out whether or not you've got the gift of service before making the decision to go and help with that. If you have the opportunity and you have the ability to go and help, I'd encourage you to go and help with that. If God has put you in the position to go, then go. What a witness for Christ that would be. It really doesn't matter all that much whether or not you know what your gift is. All that matters is that God knows what your gift is. What you need to do is trust that he has sovereignly positioned you in the body of Christ to use that gift that he knows you have to meet the need that has been expressed. Don't pigeonhole yourself by thinking you've got a certain gift and you're not going to serve in any way that lies outside of what you think your gift is. And don't make lack of giftedness an excuse for disobedience. Not all have the gift of hospitality, but we are all commanded to show hospitality. Not everyone has the gift of evangelism, but we have all been commanded to evangelize. The only question we need to answer is, am I loving and serving Christ by loving and serving his people and reaching out to the lost? Read James chapter 2 with me. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm not going to explain these verses. They're pretty self-explanatory. But James chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what James asks there. He says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, 
And one of you says, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet, you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Then turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. John writes, We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We've all been given something that meets a need in the body of Christ. Are we using what God has given us to meet that need? Are we using our gifts to meet those needs and to build up one another? Back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 19 asks this, if they were all one member or one body part, where would the body be? Every single one of you with your different gifts is needed. If you were not needed, then you would not be here. God has placed you here. If you are not gathering with the body of Christ and you are not obeying Christ's command to love and serve one another, then the body of Christ in New Woodstock is not a fully functioning body. We are like a body with amputated limbs hobbling around trying to do a job that requires every body part to be fully functioning. And if you think you are not necessary to this body of believers, and if you think that it doesn't hurt anyone for you to float in and out of our lives, think again. We need each other. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That final day is drawing near when our Lord will call all of us his servants to give an accounting to him for how we have used the talents that he has entrusted to us. Will we be able to present to him a return on his investment or will we not? We need all hands on deck. Let's pray.